Okay, welcome to a new uh, series. We're going to be taking five weeks to look at a series that we've entitled Blueprint. The idea is fairly simple behind it. We want to look at five areas that we think are key to the Christian faith. And rather than doing what we do very well in church, which is looking at all the things we've made it, and all the things that maybe we've added to it over the years, instead, going back to what the Bible says, what was the original blueprint, the original design for it? So this morning we're looking at church, which seemed like a fairly logical place to start. It seemed fairly important to begin there before we roll into everything else. So what's God's blueprint for church? Is it something we created, a man-made idea, so we can feel part of a community? Often it's leveled at Christianity that we are just weak, so therefore we have a need to be gathered, or is there something more to it? Is there something more to it? I want to be honest as we begin this series, a huge part of this series was birthed out of frustration. Because I'm very passionate about the things I do, very passionate about church, and I found myself frustrated that I have friends who don't get it. They don't understand where my passion comes from, so they make that decision on a Sunday morning like today where they wake up, they look out the window and see the sunshine and go, not a chance I'm sitting in a building for two hours today. And they're now sat sunbathing. That's fine. That's their choice. But I'm going to be honest, that frustrates me because I'm incredibly passionate about what we have here. So this whole series is looking at this idea of what did God mean in the beginning? What was God's plan in the beginning for church? I am hugely passionate about church. Massively passionate about it. I love it. And that's not because this is my role, and I have to say that, because if I don't, that you might fire me. That's a worry, but that's coming from Tim Moody, who went to a church that was split by its musicians, tore families apart, went to a church whose new pastor arrived, and within the second week said to the youth worker that he had no real passion for children in church, so could they find a way to just keep them quiet? I went to a church that was incredibly lost and confused in its theology, and yet still on that journey, I am passionate about church. So when I say I'm passionate and when I say I love the church, please do not think that in my head I've constructed some perfect church. My experience does not have that. But what I do see as I read the scripture is that there is something more to this than maybe we grasp. There is something to church that Jesus is big on. So every week, as we journey through this series, we're going to put the subject, this week church, through the lens of what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say about it? Let's go back to the very beginning. And then we're going to ask the question, what does that mean for me? How does that play out? It's real simple. But I know in my life I get it wrong in a number of areas. So for something so simple... We seem to be fairly good at missing the point. So to begin this week, as we look at what is church, I want us just to watch together a short video which sums up everything I want us to journey incredibly well. So we're just going to watch this together. What is the church? Is the church a building? Is the church a pastor? or the staff, 
the church the music, the tradition, or the ministries? These are all good things, but they are not the church. Take them away, and the church is still here. Why? Because you church is you. The church is you with a purpose. The church is you on a mission. The church is you with a plan, a simple plan to plug into God at the weekend service, to charge up in a small feel like I could probably just stop and we could just use that as the message. Um, but I want to unpack that. It's wonderful when you do some research for a message and as I've shared with you before, you go onto YouTube and very quickly I can get distracted, but you find people producing things like this. Things that have that kind of clarity. I don't think for many of us there was anything particularly new in that video. But as I said, we seem to be fairly good at getting it wrong. So this morning, we're going to look through church. In that lens, what does the Bible say? How does it affect us? Before we do that, I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to invite Enid to read another passage for us. But just would you join me as I pray? Father God, I just want to pray now for everybody in this place, God. We are here gathered in church. So I just pray that any of those ideas that maybe we've added would fade. Father God, any of the hurts that people carry from church, God, they would lay before you. God, any false understanding and idols that we've created of church, God, would fall. Instead, Lord, I pray this morning that we would come together and we would see something of your blueprint for your church. Father God, we're here for you. We want to hear from you, Lord. Amen. I'm going to invite Enid again. He's going to come and give us a second reading. Peter's 
son of St. John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, may I ask? Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed. I love that piece of text. As you can imagine, when you're passionate about church, you begin to be drawn to things like this. For many of us, we read it and we conclude that quite clearly what Jesus is saying is that he is going to build a church on top of Peter. Makes sense. We can read it in the text. Others of us will assume that maybe Jesus is using Peter as an example of building the church upon himself. This morning, I want to challenge that thinking. This morning, I want to challenge this idea that maybe, maybe what Jesus is telling us is he builds the church on that statement of faith. That Jesus is saying to Peter, I will build my church on the statement of faith you made, which is that I am Lord and Savior. That I am the Son of God. Jesus asks him directly, directly, ignore what everyone else is saying, Peter. Who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? It's a question for us, ignoring what everyone else in this room might say. Who do you say he is? Because when Peter responds, the Messiah, son of the living God, we see Jesus find something in his faith that allows him to begin to build church. Something within what Peter proclaims creates a foundation for church. As always, when we begin to unpack these verses like this, it means that the questions we ask ourselves have fairly significant implications. Because now, when we ask that question, when I ask it of you, who do you say he is? Who do you personally say Jesus is? That answer isn't just now in your head. That answer is the key. That answer is the way into being church. We don't just answer about our own faith. What we're saying is, Jesus, I'm committed to you. And what you tell me is that commitment to you is a commitment to your church. That video wonderfully portrayed it earlier. When I say church, I'm not talking about the building. I'm not talking about the fact that we have a wonderfully full calendar of events. That's not what I'm talking about when I say church. When we talk about church, when Jesus says, I will build my church on this rock, he is saying, I will build a group of people. You, me, people. 
kind of cool, fairly exciting to be a part of something. It's always nice. Simon sat in his Red Sox jersey. Always nice to be a part of a fan base. We do it in life. We have our chosen coffees, certain things that we like, groups of people that we meet with. Maybe church is that. A nice gathering. A place to be. I challenge that as well. It should be nice. But the next thing we read is Jesus saying, if you bind something on earth, As the church, it will be bound in heaven. If you loosen something on earth as the church, it will be loosened in heaven. When you become part of church, you become part of an incredibly powerful thing. This may be a lovely gathering, but the power we have to influence earth and in turn affect eternity for people is huge. I fear at times, as grand as this building is, our understanding of church belittles what Jesus had planned. Not enhances it. I hope, as I shared just that, you begin to understand why I'm passionate about church. I'm passionate because Jesus himself says he is building it. He is building it. Because Jesus releases power to the church to make a difference. And because when hell comes knocking, the church will not allow it to pass. When the world is in need, it will be the church that comes to its aid. I'm passionate about church because Christ is coming for it. And until he does, it is here to stay. People will tell you church is dead. They are very wrong. They are very wrong. So church, I hope you would agree, even at this point, is fairly significant. It's a pretty special thing we get to be a part of. A collection of verses from the New Testament, Acts 11.22, news of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Acts 15.14, when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church, by the apostles and the elders. 1541, he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. 1 Corinthians 1-2, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on my name, our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, sorry, on the name, the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't see postcodes. We don't see signposts. It's not a map reference. We don't hear about all the great events that they're doing. What we see is a nod to this idea that the church, even back then, was a gathering of people united under that common belief, under that common personal realisation that Jesus is Saviour. The foundation of the church is faith. The foundation of church is that personal declaration that the Lord saved you, came to die for you. That's what the Bible has to say. The more you read, the more you'll find references to church. 
They look different. Some are in houses, some are in buildings. Some are gatherings of people that sell things. Some are gatherings of people that make tents. They are diverse and they are rich. They are not defined by a location. They are a people. So as we transition into those second questions, if that is church, for many of us under that blueprint, we fall into church. The faith that we have makes us church. How does that play out into questions two and three? What does that mean for us, for one another? What does it mean for the lives of those out there, those in our lives that don't meet with us? I want to read to you another passage. 1 Corinthians 12. Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slaves or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is made up, is not made up of one part, but of many. Now if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong um, to the body. It would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. The head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honourable, we treat with special honour. And the parts that are unrepresented are treated with special modesty. While other presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving great, uh, greater honour to the parts that lack it. So that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for one another. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. I believe that we have concluded fairly well the church is not a building. I really hope if you listen to nothing else I say this morning, please leave this place not thinking this building is church. So therefore, as we read that last piece of scripture together, we begin to understand something of how being church plays out. How being church is more than the things we put on. As we read that passage, we begin to see a little bit of a blueprint for how church should function from middle to edge, from Sunday morning to Wednesday evening. How church is more than just one occasion a week. 
I believe in that verse we begin to see how Jesus was calling Peter to live out his faith as church, as a group of people collected together under that firm belief that Jesus is their saviour. We come together, we learn, we pray, we worship, we break bread. We are church. It goes beyond the stone and mortar of this building. God is in the business of people. We are called to be the church as people and amongst people. So as I address these two questions again, how does what we have heard of church outwork itself practically in terms of us collectively and in terms of the lives that we live outside of this place? The verse on the body, I believe, gives us a wonderful example, a wonderful understanding of how to bring those questions together. I want to challenge three areas to answer those questions. Those of you who have heard that verse on the body countless times, you've lost count, from Sunday school colouring in random body parts to presentations on it to this morning. Those of you who hear it and dismiss it, because you are quite simply the best at many things, so you don't need others. Finally, those of you who hear it and just don't see yourself being good enough to be a part of it. I genuinely believe that all three of those responses would have crossed varying minds as it was read. So that first group, as I read it, you know it. Brings a smile to the face. What a lovely use of a story explaining how the body works and how everyone's valued. And we almost dismiss it with a smile. So common to us. So common. We know that the eye and the foot, and we know it. But I worry we miss something. I worry that in just becoming so aware of it, so comfortable with it, we miss that God designed you individually to play a part. By becoming so comfortable with texts like that, we seem to forget that he is speaking about us personally. God made you specifically to do a role only you can do. Please do not belittle that. Psalm 139, you are fearfully and wonderfully made, knitted together in your mother's womb. This is not simply a clever example of unity. It's a reminder that you are the single most amazing thing to grace this planet. And you are singularly designed for a role and a purpose that only you can play. So when we read passages like this, please do not dismiss it as clever Bible teaching or a useful tool for a preacher to bring a subject to the table with. It is a direct message to you, the individual, that your role is huge. I worry we become so comfortable, messages become so common that we forget that these words were given to man by God for us. I 
The second group of people, those of us who maybe find ourselves a little bit confident, a little bit overconfident maybe in our abilities. We feel like we could do it all. We look at church, we look at our lives, we believe wholeheartedly that we are able to get to the end goal alone. Other people would simply hold us back. Now, many of us are clever. We would never voice this for fear of sounding arrogant. But we think it. Some of us maybe don't even realize we're doing it, but I challenge you to consider this. On how many occasions do you find yourself thinking, if I did it, I wouldn't do it like that? How many of us find ourselves thinking, of course it didn't work? Of course it didn't. They didn't do it right. A subtle arrogance. Sadly, it's a subtle arrogance that so often stops the body performing as it should. Hinders people from developing, holds people back, stops you being everything you could be to this body. You may be sat there as the single best kneecap in the whole world. But I promise you, as much as you may know, you are the single best kneecap in the world without the foot, the shin, the ankle, and various other components down there, you would spend your life being dragged through the mud. So you can be, and please do be the best kneecap you can be, but do not believe for a minute you don't need other people. Do not believe for a minute that you aren't enhanced by other people. Because arrogance does that, it isolates us. It doesn't make us better, it stops us being the best version of us. I need you. You need the people next to you. God's design for church was people, not individuals. Finally, that third group, those of you who hear that idea, you've heard the words I've said and yet you sit there thinking, you know what, I don't, I don't really have anything to bring. I could do that, but that person's better at it than I am. We dismiss roles, opportunities as for others. Again, maybe you don't necessarily think it clearly in your head, but you think those words, someone else will do it. Someone else could probably do a better job. You know what, if no one else is around and then you've exhausted everyone else and it's like three minutes before it starts and still no one's there, then, then call me because I'm probably not going to be a lot of help. The next part is not to condemn you. <coughs> Pray is to release you, but you are wrong. You are wrong. Possibly the most wrong you could be because the psalm is about you as well, fearfully and wonderfully made. Fearfully and wonderfully made. God did not make you a spare because who knows, one day we'll need that second head. He didn't make you a body part that didn't make the final cut and somewhere in the wonders of Eden you are left loose because the body just didn't quite need that part. That's not what he did didn't make a mistake. You are designed to perfection for a role carved out by God for you. 
a role carved out by God for you. I understand that confidence is fragile. Maybe you took that step and someone shot you down. Maybe you were speaking and someone chuckled at the wrong point. Maybe someone directly criticised something you did. Maybe the result wasn't what you'd planned. Somehow, somewhere, something has cut across God's design for you. It's left you broken and hurting. It's from that viewpoint you stand and you look and you say the words, I could never. With all that baggage, all that hurt. The truth is, the answer is no, you couldn't. But God can. For some of us, this isn't a message just about church. It is a message about healing. For some of us, our role in church is going to be to put the pieces back together for those of us that are broken. You begin to see just how wonderful the human body is when it heals itself. I believe when Jesus spoke to Peter, he said that as well. On your faith, I'm going to build my church. And there are going to be healers, people that speak truth. You aren't going to be able to do it alone. You are going to need every last one of you. Church is at its best when it's at its most diverse. Church is at its absolute best when it's at its most diverse. God does not want a whole lot of preachers. One, this is a very small space. But he doesn't want a whole lot of preachers because who would welcome people? Who would make teas and coffees? God does not want a whole host of people just doing kids' work because if you were all out there, there would be no one in here. None of these roles are better or worse than each other. The truth is we just can't all do them because it would look very lopsided. The church is at its best when it's its most diverse. Be it that we're over-arrogant, unsure of our gifts, intimidated, proud, confused, hurting. Wherever it is you land right now, wherever you came from this morning to be here, please hear this. You are the church. You are the hope for the nations. You. That's what we read. When you pray, the God of creation is listening. When you pray for things on earth to be bound and to be loosened, they are loosened and bound in eternity. You the church. The church is very important. I'm passionate about us being church together. I'm passionate about us being church together, and I want us to be church together, and I want us to show Risker Jesus. I want us to be church together, and I want us to allow, be it individually or as part of something bigger for Wales, 
to see Jesus. And I do believe that through his church, God will reveal himself to the nations. I am incredibly passionate about church. And praise God, it is not a one-man army. Because I fall short. There's things I cannot do. As we saw the other week, Mark cannot play piano. That's okay. Because we don't all have to do everything. We don't all have to do everything. Being church for one another demands something very significant. To answer that question directly, how does being church affect my relationship with others here? It's not about attendance. It's not about what role you end up playing. I believe it's this. Be wholly present. When you arrive on a Sunday, when you come to a group, when you are with other believers, be wholly present. Because that is what the church is built on. Not clever plans, not good buildings, not text messages, not Facebook updates, clever photos with wonderful filters that put dog ears on us. That is not what we were designed for. That is not how the church will go forward. The church moves when we are present. Please don't hear that as a call not to do anything. But as a call to do everything you do being wholly present. From welcoming to the music, teas and coffees, the sound guys at the back, they're wholly present. If they weren't, you wouldn't hear me. You would have definitely heard Mark singing. None of you would have had sweets on the way in and there would not be refreshments <laughs> afterwards. Being present demands something of us. It demands us to understand our role within the body and live it out. Build relationships, speak to people, lean on others and allow others to lean on you. Be a part of what church is. If I wanted to, I'd be cruel and I'd ask you to stand up and speak to someone you've never spoken to before. I'm not going to force it, but I challenge you, do it. We are church together. Under that common belief that Jesus is Lord and Saviour. I'm sure George and others who have travelled the world will tell you, when you travel as a missionary, you don't go to someone else's church. You just go to church. They don't welcome you as someone else. They welcome you as a brother and sister. They welcome you as part of church. We are not defined by these walls Be present. Be present. We'll touch on it. This whole blueprint series, as you can imagine, overlays itself on each other. There is no way you could look at faith and not realise how interlocked it is. But a word of warning. There was a wonderful group of people united under belief that God was God. Saw miraculous signs, crossed rivers, had bread delivered from heaven. They were united as church, by defined in the Bible, by definition from the Bible, they were church. Yet, they managed to find themselves wandering for 40 years aimlessly. Please do not come to church aimlessly. Church does not move forward by attendance alone. 
but by being wholly present. Just because we're united does not guarantee anything. I want us to be moving into the promised land as the church, not lost and aimless. Please bring your gifts, bring your skills. I need you. I need an eye. I need that kneecap to step forward. I need a heart. We need to be church. As I close, I want to read these two verses to you. And I hope this answers that final question. How does church affect my everyday life? How does church not just be Sunday morning, occasionally Sunday evening, when there's something good on in the week, I'll come down. The things with the good giveaways I'll be at. How does church become more than that? Ephesians 6, 7 to 8. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people. Because you know that the Lord will reward each, of, each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slaves or free. Again, 1 Corinthians 10, 23. Uh, sorry, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. That's the calling within church. That's the calling on our everyday lives. How does church affect my life on Monday afternoon, on Thursday evening, Friday morning? It reminds me that I'm a part of something bigger. It reminds me that whatever I do, I'm doing it to the glory of God. I hate my job, can't stand my job. It's not giving you a blueprint for how to get out of your job. What it's saying is, okay, hate your job, but do what you do at your job to the glory of God. I don't like anyone in my office. Serve as if you are serving God yourself, himself, sorry. Let your boss see Jesus through the way you conduct yourself. Let your colleagues know something of church through the way you are amongst them. As you do it, as you go, be at work, hang in washing, go knowing that you are taking church with you. People are seeing a glimpse of the church through you. I love that challenge. I love that challenge because what I love particularly is that as we become closer as church, people will be praying for you as you go into work. Many of you already have it. People pray for you as you go into situations you're not looking forward to. That's how church functions. A people united under a common belief. A faith that Jesus died for their sins, united in love, worshipping together, praying, breaking bread. And living life. Church is not defined by this building. This isn't church because it's Sunday morning. This isn't church because of the building. This isn't church because we sang songs and we prayed. This is church because we're here. This is church because we are united under the salvation 
of God. I knew I was passionate about church. I knew I was. But until this week, in truth, I wasn't really sure why. Mark will testify to this. It's been an amazing journey for me to realize that the passion I had was God. It wasn't my education. It was God stirring something within me. That thing I believe was that I am incredibly passionate about people. Incredibly passionate about people. And the church is people. With a common goal. I'm passionate about seeing you serve one another. I'm passionate about you finding your gifts. I'm passionate about you serving your community. I am incredibly passionate about this church being full on a Sunday morning, not because it's a ritual and something we do, but because Jesus is being made known to more people. And where do they come when they learn about Jesus? They come here to church to be together, to learn from one another, to witness the eyes and the knees and all the other things working in unison. This is Jesus' plan for humanity, the church. Jesus' plan for humanity is his church, reaching the needs of people, revealing something of Jesus himself. Mark coined this phrase in the office this week, and I would like this to be our closing thought. The church, Jesus' church, our role, our responsibility is this. The church revealing to the world the image of the invisible.